So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Me in the time to come. I shall only act for you, monsieur. Raoul, what I have never hitherto done with respect to you, I will henceforward do. I will be your friend, not your father. We will live in expanding ourselves, instead of living and holding ourselves prisoners, when you come back. And that will be soon, will it not? Certainly, monsieur, for such an expedition cannot last long. Soon, then, Raoul, soon, instead of living moderately on my income, I will give you the capital of my estates. It will suffice for launching you into the world till my death, and you will give me, I hope, before that time, the consolation of not seeing my race extinct. I will do all you may command, said Raoul, much agitated. It is not necessary, Raoul, that your duty as aide-de-camp should lead you into two hazardous enterprises. You have gone through your ordeal. You are known to be a true man under fire. Remember that war with Arabs is a war of snares, ambuscades, and assassinations. So it is said, monsieur. There is never much glory in falling in an ambuscade. It is a death which always implies a little rashness or want of foresight. Often, indeed, he who falls in one meets with but little pity. Those who are not pitied, Raoul, have died to little purpose. Still further, the conqueror laughs, and we Frenchmen ought not to allow stupid infidels to triumph over our faults. Do you clearly understand what I am saying to you, Raoul? God forbid I should encourage you to avoid encounters. I am naturally prudent, monsieur, and I have very good fortune, said Raoul, with a smile which chilled the heart of his poor father. For, the young man hastened to add, in twenty combats through which I have been, I have only received one scratch. There is, in addition, said Athos, the climate to be dreaded. That is an ugly end, to die of fever. King Saint-Louis prayed God to send him an arrow, or the plague, rather than the fever. Oh, monsieur, with sobriety, with reasonable exercise, I have already obtained from Monsieur de Beaufort a promise that his dispatches shall be sent off every fortnight to France. You, as his aide-de-camp, will be charged with expediting them, and will be sure not to forget me. No, monsieur, said Raoul, almost choked with emotion. Besides, Raoul, as you are a good Christian, and I am one also, we ought to reckon upon a more special protection of God and his guardian angels. Promise me that if anything evil should happen to you, on any occasion, you will think of me at once. First, and at once, oh, yes, monsieur. And will call upon me? Instantly. You dream of me sometimes, do you not, Raoul? Every night, monsieur. 
During my early youth I saw you in my dreams, calm and mild, with one hand stretched out over my head, and that it was which made me sleep so soundly, formerly. We love each other too dearly, said the Comte, that from this moment in which we separate, a portion of both our souls should not travel with one and the other of us, and should not dwell wherever we may dwell. Whenever you may be sad, Raoul, I feel that my heart will be dissolved in sadness, and when you smile on thinking of me, be assured you will send me, from however remote a distance, a vital scintillation of your joy. I will not promise you to be joyous, replied the young man, but you may be certain that I will never pass an hour without thinking of you, not one hour, I swear, unless I shall be dead. Athos could contain himself no longer. He threw his arm round the neck of his son, and held him embraced with all the power of his heart. The moon began to be now eclipsed by twilight. A golden band surrounded the horizon, announcing the approach of the day. Athos threw his cloak over the shoulders of Raoul, and led him back to the city, where burdens and porters were already in motion, like a vast anthill. At the extremity of the plateau which Athos and Bragelonne were quitting, they saw a dark shadow moving uneasily backwards and forwards, as if in indecision or ashamed to be seen. It was Grimaud, who in his anxiety had tracked his master and was there awaiting him. "'Oh, my good Grimaud!' cried Raoul. "'What do you want? You are come to tell us it is time to be gone, have you not?' "'Alone?' said Grimaud, addressing Athos, and pointing to Raoul in a tone of reproach, which showed to what an extent the old man was troubled. "'Oh, you are right,' cried the Comte. "'No, Raoul shall not go alone. No, he shall not be left alone in a strange land without some friendly hand to support him, some friendly heart to recall to him all he loved.' "'I?' said Grimaud. "'You! Yes, you!' cried Raoul, touched to the inmost heart. "'Alas!' said Athos. "'You are very old, my good Grimaud.' "'So much the better,' replied the latter, with an inexpressible depth of feeling and intelligence. "'But the embarkation is begun,' said Raoul, "'and you are not prepared.' "'Yes,' said Grimaud, showing the keys of his trunks, mixed with those of his young master. "'But!' again objected Raoul. "'You cannot leave Monsieur le Comte thus alone. Monsieur le Comte, whom you have never quitted?' Grimaud turned his diamond eyes upon Athos and Raoul, as if to measure the strength of both. The Comte uttered not a word. "'Monsieur le Comte prefers my going,' said Grimaud. "'I do,' said Athos, by an inclination of the head." At that moment the drums suddenly rolled, and the clarions filled the air with their inspiring notes. The regiments destined for the expedition began to debouch from the city. They advanced to the number of five, each composed of forty companies. Royals marched first, distinguished by their white uniform, faced with blue. The ordonnance colors, quartered crosswise, violet and dead leaf, with a sprinkling of golden fleur-de-lis, left the white-coloured flag, with its fleur-de-lis cross, to dominate the whole. Musketeers at the wings, with their forked sticks and their muskets on their shoulders, 
Pikemen in the centre, with their lances, fourteen feet in length, marched gaily towards the transports, which carried them in detail to the ships. The regiments of Picardy, Navarre, Normandy, and Royal Vaisseau followed after. Monsieur de Beaufort had known well how to select his troops. He himself was seen closing the march with his staff. It would take a full hour before he could reach the sea. Raoul with Athos turned his steps slowly towards the beach, in order to take his place when the prince embarked. Grimaud, boiling with the ardor of a young man, superintended the embarkation of Raoul's baggage in the admiral's vessel. Athos, with his arm passed through that of the son he was about to lose, absorbed in melancholy meditation, was deaf to every noise around him. An officer came quickly towards them to inform Raoul that M. de Beaufort was anxious to have him by his side. "'Have the kindness to tell the prince,' said Raoul, "'that I request he will allow me this hour to enjoy the company of my father.' "'No, no,' said Athos. "'An aide-de-camp ought not thus to quit his general. "'Please to tell the prince, monsieur, that the vicomte will join him immediately.' The officer set off at a gallop. "'Whether we part here, or part there,' added the comte, "'it is no less a separation.' He carefully brushed the dust from his son's coat, and passed his hand over his hair as they walked along. "'But, Raoul,' said he, "'you want money. Monsieur de Beaufort's train will be splendid, and I am certain it will be agreeable to you to purchase horses and arms.' which are very dear things in Africa. Now, as you are not actually in the service of the king or Monsieur de Beaufort, and are simply a volunteer, you must not reckon upon either pay or largesse. But I should not like you to want for anything at Gigeli. Here are two hundred pistoles. If you would please me, Raoul, spend them. Raoul pressed the hand of his father, and at the turning of a street they saw Monsieur de Beaufort, mounted on a magnificent white genet, which responded by graceful curvettes to the applause of the women of the city. The duke called Raoul, and held out his hand to the comte. He spoke to him for some time, with such a kindly expression that the heart of the poor father even felt a little comforted. It was, however, evident to both father and son that their walk amounted to nothing less than a punishment. There was a terrible moment— that at which, on quitting the sands of the shore, the soldiers and sailors exchanged the last kisses with their families and friends. A supreme moment, in which, notwithstanding the clearness of the heavens, the warmth of the sun, of the perfumes of the air, and the rich life that was circulating in their veins, everything appeared black, everything bitter, everything created doubts of providence, nay, at the most, of God. It was customary for the admiral and his suite to embark last. The cannon waited to announce, with its formidable voice, that the leader had placed his foot on board his vessel. Athos, forgetful of both the admiral and the fleet, and of his own dignity as a strong man, opened his arms to his son, and pressed him convulsively to his heart. "'Accompany us on board,' said the duke, very much affected. "'You will gain a good half-hour.' "'No,' said Athos. "'My farewell has been spoken. I do not wish to voice a second. "'Then, Vicomte, embark! Embark quickly!' added the 
prince, wishing to spare the tears of those two men whose hearts were bursting. And paternally, tenderly, very much as Porthos might have done, he took Raoul in his arms and placed him in the boat, the oars of which, at a signal, immediately were dipped in the waves. He himself, forgetful of ceremony, jumped into his boat, and pushed it off with a vigorous foot. "'Adieu!' cried Raoul. Athos replied only by a sign, but he felt something burning on his hand. It was the respectful kiss of Grimaud, the last farewell of the faithful dog. This kiss given, Grimaud jumped from the step of the mole upon the stem of a two-oared yawl, which had just been taken in tow by a chaland served by twelve galliors. Athos seated himself on the mole, stunned, deaf, abandoned. Every instant took from him one of the features, one of the shades of the pale face of his son. With his arms hanging down, his eyes fixed, his mouth open, he remained confounded with Raoul, in one same look, in one same thought, in one same stupor. The sea, by degrees, carried away boats and faces to that distance at which men become nothing but points, loves, nothing but remembrances. Athos saw his son ascend the ladder of the admiral's ship. He saw him lean upon the rail of the deck and place himself in such a manner as to be always an obstacle in the eye of his father. In vain the cannon thundered, in vain from the ship sounded the long and lordly tumult, responded to by immense acclamations from the shore. In vain did the noise deafen the ear of the father, the smoke obscured the cherished object of his aspirations. Raoul appeared to him to the last moment, and the imperceptible atom, passing from black to pale, from pale to white, from white to nothing, disappeared for Athos, disappeared very long after, to all the eyes of the spectators, had disappeared both gallant ships and swelling sails. Towards midday, with the sun devoured space, and scarcely the tops of the masts dominated the incandescent limit of the sea, Athos perceived a soft aerial shadow rise, and vanish as soon as seen. This was the smoke of a cannon, which M. de Beaufort ordered to be fired as a last salute to the coast of France. The point was buried in its turn beneath the sky, and Athos returned with slow and painful step to his deserted hostelry. End of chapter